Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitters of the National League. We got fresh, frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now, let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat presented by Manscaped. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you who listens. I am Amanda, and I'm joined, as always, by my assiduous co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Make sure you find us on Twitter and follow the show there at Half Street High Heat. And don't forget to check out the website, which is at halfstreethighheat.com for lots of great content. How are you guys doing? Uh, you've used that word before. I thought I maybe had, but I don't keep a list. Well, but this there, one was a nice a one because it's a con- it's a compliment. So even if I used it before, it's I'm pretty sure you used it like a couple weeks ago. No, was it that recent? Was it that recently? <laughs> sure. I was like trying to come up with one today, and well, I'll have to find a better one for next week that I'm sure I haven't used before. Jeez, do some research. Be prepared. Yeah. My husband told me that. He's like, you should have a list. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't start with one. I should probably at least start one now, but I haven't. But it does mean (laughs) diligent or constant in effort. So it is a compliment. Yep. You definitely did that because I was in Florida when, uh, when you said that. Ah, so it wasn't that recently then. You've been back for a while. (laughs) I've been back for a month. Right. So so it wasn't two weeks ago. Anyway, moving on. I said a couple of weeks, but (laughs) it was implied. How are you guys doing? Um, I called, uh, so I, I coach a JV team and a 14U team, and I've been uh, obsessed recently with calling the suicide squeeze because no one can defend it. So uh, over the weekend, we uh, we ended up winning, and the difference in the game was I called three suicide squeezes in the same inning. Three in an inning? Those were the same. Those were the, the, we won 7-4, so that was literally the difference in the game. So I've now become hooked on calling suicide squeezes so much so that we had a game Monday night, which is why I didn't record. Um, but we went into extras and I, we had a chance, we were home. So we had a chance to win it. Um, and I had a guy do a suicide squeeze with two strikes and he fouled, tipped it and was out because obviously 
bunt two strikes and it's foul, you're out. So, right. But that's how I'm just saying that's how, oh, God. What? Brad Hand just blew the game. Oh, no. Are you serious? <laughs> well, that's a terrible, terrible, you know, omen for our episode <laughs> where we're trying to stay all positive. Yeah. So I forgot to mention that in the in the intro here. We're going to try to do an episode based on positivity. Brad Hand is making it very difficult for me. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, maybe the, that just means we'll walk it off and we can be, you know, even yeah. more positive. Is that what you think that means? <laughs> I'm trying to be positive here, Amanda. <laughs> All right. I'll try. I'll try. Yeah. I'll try. It's going to be tough. Anyways. Okay. Well, suicide squeezes are fun. So um, three in one inning seems a little bit crazy, but I guess it worked out for you. I'm a, I'm a better manager than David Martinez. What can you expect? I'm going to be very positive here and not say that a lot of people could say that. <laughs> so let's go to our quick pitch segment. Actually, before we do that, Ryan, hello. How you doing? Hey, you know, always forgotten. This Ryan guy over here just completely disrespected me moving on. Ryan, I, I thought you carried the episode on Monday. I listened to it today. Hey, thanks, man. Thank you, I, like to, I like to think I was boosted, not carried. <laughs> So um, me, me not being here boosts you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm sitting here trying to think that one through. I'm like, is he insulting him or All complimenting right. him? I can't you tell. You guys can think of that however you would like. <laughs> All right. That is a back, oh, that just messed up and called me. That is a backhanded compliment. Uh, no, life is good. Life is great. The Nats are playing okay. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna keep trying. We promise. This is our positivity episode. Positive vibes only. Um, okay, let's do our quick pitch. Um, we'll, in light of what we're seeing right now from Shohei Otani, will two-way players become more common? So this is a no for multiple reasons. One, um, Shohei Otani is an absolute freak of nature. He is a special kind of player. What he's doing this year is absolutely ludicrous. Also, you have to be good at two things on that level. Shohei Otani is an MVP caliber hitter. He's also a Cy Young caliber pitcher. Also, doing both is an extreme strain on your body, and I do think at some point Shohei is going to pick one and only do that one because that is a lot on your body, and I don't think two-way players will last very long in the league. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's definitely a no. Um for all the reasons Ryan said, like Shohei is the exception to the rule. Um, like I'm sure there's pitchers who, I mean, there's definitely pitchers who are decent hitters and, you know, we see pinch hit from time to time, but they're not Shohei Otani. They're not forcing their way into the lineup when it's not their, you know, scheduled day on the bump. So, you know, he is the exception and he's awesome. It, it's, you know, extremely fun to watch. But it's awesome for a reason in that it's so rare and it's so difficult to do that he's just playing a game on a much higher level than most of the other players in the MLB. So, you know, it, it would be awesome, but... Unlikely. Know, yeah, there, there's a reason Shohei is the first to do it in a long, long time. Yeah, you did see this, of course, in, in the history of baseball quite a lot more, but what Ryan just said about him being... It, an otherworldly pitcher and hitter, which is amazing. And most guys can't do either. Most guys couldn't be an MVP hitter and they couldn't be a Cy Young pitcher, you know, even if that was the only thing they did. So to see one player who can do both is unbelievable. 
So I don't know that they, I don't think they will become more common. I think they may even become less common. I mean, he's the first one in a long time. I don't know when we'll see another, but he sure is amazing and fun to watch. What That's a my, great that was my story MVP he is. Pick, by yeah. the way. I remember. We'll see what happens, but he's certainly playing like it right now. It's just shocking that the Angels have Trout, Otani, Rendon, right, and, and some solid role players, and they will never be good. Yeah, they need they need more pitching, and they just for some reason won't go get it. I cannot understand it with all everything else they've got going for them. I don't understand how they don't make the investments they need to in the pitching. I mean, it's a fake LA team. I don't. I just don't understand. But yeah. yeah Can you imagine if you know, let's say Shohei Otani was a impending free agent, what that contract would look like? I honestly can't. I haven't given that a moment's thought, but it would be, I don't know, all the dollars. I mean, uh, Ryan, I'm curious your your take on this. It would have to be Trout level. Money. Yes, it would have to be. I mean, you're getting a guy who can do it, who can do it both. And, and at an extremely high level. It's not like he's a, a four ERA guy, which would still be solid. He's, a, you know, when he's on, when he's on and healthy, he's a Cy Young contender. What is his ERA right now? Uh, I think he would get less than 200 million. Really? 150 million tops. Um, his risk of injury is about... That's triple true. everyone else's and no one's going to put that type of money into someone with that much injury. He would get the money, but like if he was free agent, a team would make him commit to one or the other. They wouldn't take that much injury risk if he hit free agency right now. I think that's a good point. Probably by the time he gets to his next contract, you know, it gets to his big contract. It's, it's going to be, he's going to have to choose. I, I think 150 is still low, but yeah, maybe trial level money is a, a bit of an exaggeration. Yes. I think his ERA right now is 2.1. Ain't too bad. Ain't too bad at all. All right, Ryan, can you hook us up with the midweek in review, please? I for sure can. What a week. Or what a couple of days, I should say. It has been. MLB tells the athletics to begin exploring relocation options for if a new ballpark is not approved by the city of Oakland. This is putting more pressure on the city of Oakland as they have turned down the last couple of proposals from the A's. City officials and politicians are turning it down and they have not accepted one yet because the proposed area where they want to build their stadium is currently being proposed for low income housing. This is the biggest move and pressure Major League Baseball has put on Oakland to get rid of that god-awful stadium. This is also a pretty big reminder to Tampa that MLB can and will do the same thing to you, too, if you keep denying the Rays' proposals for new stadiums. Fernando Tatis Jr. and Will Myers test positive for COVID. Multiple Yankees and coaches test positive for COVID as well. Shohei Otani becomes the first player since 1916 to strike out 10 or more in a game and bat lead off the next day. To the east in last place are the 13 and 18 Nats. They are currently tied 2-2 right now heading into the ninth inning. Uh, thanks to Brad Hand giving up a ninth inning home run to Odubel Herrera. They've also scored three runs or less in seven of their last eight games. And fourth are the 15 and 20 Marlins who have dropped the first two to the Diamondbacks. And third are the 17 and 18, about to be 17 and 19 
uh, Braves. They dropped game one against the Blue Jays and are about to lose game two. Mike Soroka suffers a big setback with his Achilles. He will have exploratory surgery. And second are the 1917 Phillies. They took game one against the Nats and just tied game two. Didi Gregorius left earlier this evening with right elbow stiffness. And first are the 18 and 13 Mets. They've taken two game series against the Orioles. Harvey got a standing ovation in his first start back, and the Mets have now won seven straight. Up next is a three-game set with the Tampa Bay Rays. This has been your week in review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's. Make sure you stop on in or get carry out or order it out. Order nice, have a nice, relaxing dinner, all from the comfort of your own home. This has been your week in review. A lot of crazy stuff going on around the league this week. The uh, the A's thing is definitely going to be something to watch because they definitely want to stay in Oakland. But, I mean, Oakland just lost the football team, which, you know, we're a baseball podcast, but football's where the money is. So the fact that Oakland let their football team leave uh, is pretty indicative of their, you know, inability or stubbornness. To, or unwillingness. Unwillingness to, you know, give their teams – what they need and what they deserve. So the A's have been playing in that dump forever. I mean, they shared it with the Raiders when the Raiders were there and it was that terrible crossover, just terrible. But, you know, the A's have been there for a while and they've had plenty of proposals turned down. So that's going to be something to watch because there's definitely going to be plenty of cities looking to add a baseball team. Should one become available with obviously Vegas being at the top of the list due to, not only the proximity to Oakland, but the fact that, of course, the Raiders just moved there and they've added two teams successfully in the past few years. They have the market and the foundation to add a, a third team uh, without much, you know, you know, problems in that regard. So that's definitely going to be something to watch. I'm pretty excited to see how that unfolds because we either get a kick-ass, you know, state-of-the-art stadium or the A's finally get what they deserve. Yeah, I, it, I feel bad for the fans in Oakland. That's really brutal to lose. An all, they lost lose. the Warriors, too, the Warriors. Yeah, the they lost the Warriors. Stuff. They lost the Raiders. And now I think they're going to lose the A's. I don't think Oakland's going to do what they need to do to get the, the sort of ballpark that MLB is looking for built there. It's, I think at this point it's just a question of where do they go. Obviously, Vegas is an easy, you know, they, the Raiders are already there. They've got plenty of space. That's one thing to keep in mind. A lot mm-hmm. of cities don't have a good place to put a stadium if they wanted to build something from scratch. Vegas is nothing but space all around the city. So you've got plenty of options there. Um, Nashville, I think you mentioned on Twitter, Nick. I would love Nashville. I don't think it makes much sense for the, for the A's because they're, they need to be in the AL West, Mm -hmm. but I I would love it. Someone threw out Portland. I would like Portland too. The A's kind of fit a Portland vibe to me. Like they do sort of. Portland seems like a very, you know, um, you know, uh, passionate, but you know, small but passionate fan base. So I think the A's would fit Portland well, but Vegas has to be the contender. And I, if Vegas, it's only Vegas. If Vegas, Vegas is the, the right, yeah. If they get the right of first refusal, they're not refusing it. No, I heard somebody throw out Vancouver, which I thought was an interesting idea to have another Canadian be dumb team for baseball. Now nah, they're gonna like Vegas is now the like sports city to be in right now. They already show that they can support a team with passionate fans with the Golden Knights. That's all the leagues need to see. They have football. The A's, if they move, are going to Vegas and they're going to get basketball there as well. It's going to be a four, uh, sorry, a four sports city. 
they have the tourists who come in already. There's a lot of money in that city for teams and sport leagues realize that. It's only a matter of time if it's the A's or if it's an expansion team, but baseball is going to be played in Vegas before 2025. Like you can put that in Sharpie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was always the logical choice, even when, you know, Bryce Harper was here and we're talking about, oh God, if Vegas gets a team, he's gone. And (laughs) lo and behold, like it didn't even take a Vegas team for him to leave us. Right. Um, You know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Vegas is clearly the option. They're like Ryan said, they're going to get basketball. And the point I was going to make that, you know, he cucked for me too, is that they have tourists year round. So they're going to have plenty of fans that are going to be in the stadiums. They're probably going to have higher attendance than the A's do now. Right. And lots of gambling. And of course they'll have to build a closed stadium because it's the surface of the temperature, the temperature of the surface of the sun. But you just know that state. I don't know who the A's owners are. And yeah, like they've been cheap with their free agents and stuff. But if you move to Vegas, it kind of forces your hand to be active, be a big spender because you have to fit that profile. I mean, it's kind of like what we saw with the angels, like, the Angels are trying to do that. They're just not spending in the right spot, but they are spending. The A's moved to Vegas. They're going to start spending because they have to fit that profile. Vegas is a big market, and it's developing, and they, they can, you know, when the Nats came to D.C., they had to carve out the Orioles, you know, territory. But, you know, with the A's moving to Vegas, the A's have all the territory. So they, I mean, it's just, a, or anyone moving to Vegas, they're going to have all that territory, so it's going to be, you know, desirable and they're just kind of do their part keep people interested and with the state of yard stadium and gambling and you know passion fans and a bunch of tourists it's basically lined up it makes sense yeah Yeah. it definitely makes it oh double from trey turner well i mean walk these famous on contributing on this soto now come on soto score trey yeah all right back to the show he's walked Oh, did they walk him? I'm walk. I'm watching it on the game day thing because I don't have a TV in here. So they I'm like him. way. Oh, yeah. Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would rather face anyone else in this freaking lineup. So positive vibes only. And that's what we're doing for our next segment. So it's a perfect segue. This is the positives. We're doing only positives in this segment. We're going to say something nice about all the facets of this team. So let's start off with the offense. This is going to be the hardest one. So there is, there's one positive about the offense right now. It's my boy Trey Turner. Um, the 2021 NL MVP, the campaign that I started, Trey saw it. And Trey was like, yo, Shaq, I like this. I'm going to come through for you. Um, he's hitting 318, 365, 43 on the year. He's on pace for 40 home runs and 38 stolen bases. You can make an argument right now that he's a top two shortstop and he's not two. It's him and Xander Bogarts. There are the top two shortstops in baseball right now. He's by far and away the only positive about this offense. And I called it. All right. That's Wait, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Ryan Zimmerman just ground to a double play. That's why you always walk Juan Soto. That's why he's uh, always like he getting walked. Well, uh, I'm on a delay. So me too. Spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, I was going to uh, talk about this off the top, but since we were doing this segment today, I kind of just saved it. But I listened to, you know, the, the episode you guys did uh, for Tuesday, and, you know, you talked about the, the surprises and disappointments of the, of the 30 game. And you kind of talked about it anyways because it was a, a question from a listener. But my, you know, positive or, you know, surprised is Josh Harrison um, because 
I, I think, you know, it, it was a good signing, especially for the money, you know, 1 million isn't really going to hurt you. Um, and, you know, we signed him to be a utility guy. So for that role, it, it was, it was a great deal all around, but I don't know if it's because of how well he's been doing slumping a little bit, but overall how well he's been doing or the fact that there's so many other problems with this team, but he's been great. And we haven't really talked about him as a, a, a position where we need to upgrade because he's, he's just been holding it down. He, he's been doing great. And, you know, we're fine with him as our second baseman going forward. I don't think he's the long-term answer. You guys talked about a possible extension for him. And I, I think that'd be a great idea as a utility guy, but you know, He's he's definitely been a pleasant surprise for us, and I, I think he can be a contributor going forward. And it's definitely a positive for this offense because he's he's a puzzle piece that you can kind of, or I guess a chess piece would be a better metaphor that you can kind of you know position and play with to kind of help lengthen and strengthen this lineup a little bit. Yeah, um, Harrison was the one I was going to talk about because there's not many other choices right now to say something nice about the offense. Um, Zim, despite just um, grounding into a double play there in a big spot, has obviously been a bright spot when he has played, which his appearances have not been regular, been few and far between. But um, he's he's been very good, and I wonder at this point, if, uh, you know, best friend of the pod, uh, Matt Wyrick, had tweeted something this morning about how much longer can they justify starting Josh Bell every day when you have Zim on the bench. And I wonder if, obviously tonight is just one game, but I wonder if we're start going to start to see a shift in the usage, like what's the percentages, because obviously we know that Zimmerman is best when he's not playing every single day, but I feel like... Th- it's malpractice to keep throwing Josh Bell out there every day when you have a better option who can play the same defensive position. So, you know, Zim's been a, Zim has been a bright spot. So I'm going to say that he's hitting over 300. You know, he's been, he's been pretty good every time we do see him. So I'm hoping we see him a little bit more often. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is a positive in, <laughs> we're being positive, so I feel like we're I'm being like, positive. I'm so that's what like we're going to say. On what I can yeah, say, yeah, that's what we're going to say. Being positive. Okay, let's be positive about the defense. There's a lot more to be positive about this here. Um, the Nats lead the majors in defensive run save, and also, if I'm going to point out a single person, it's Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber mm-hmm. has been very surprising. Um, I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it. If you struggle offensively, you have to pick up the slack defensively. Kyle Schwarber is brought here and hit home runs. He's not. Kind of makes him useless. But he's playing very strong defense right now. He had another outfield assist tonight, which honestly, Nats would have lost. It would have been 3-2 over in the ninth inning if he didn't do that. It was an absolute rocket home, 93 miles per hour. And he's playing really strong defense out there, and it's been a really pleasant surprise because that is not someone who's known for the defensive play. I like it. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, there's a, a ton of directions you can go with this. I mean, Victor Robles is one because he's slimmed down, and really that's what we're getting. You know, if you're hoping for anything from Victor Robles, it, it's defense at this point, and he's he's been great in that regard. Um, I'll just I'm gonna go Jan Gomes because uh, at times last year it seemed like 
I guess the year before as well, it seemed like Kurt Suzuki was the better option or at least the preferred option. And so far it seems like Jan Gomes has really taken a hold of that, you know, number one catcher, which obviously we all knew he would be Avila was never going to challenge for that role, but we haven't seen many, you know, bad games from him, at least defensively. He he's called a good game and the pitching, you know, for the most part has been pretty good. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but I think Jan Gomes has a lot to do with that um, because he, he's helped steady a lot of the, you know, new additions or I guess they're not new, but people like Fetty and Ross and even Lester acclimating uh, to the to Nats rotation. It seems like, you know, there hasn't been uh, many obstacles in that. And I think Jan Gomes deserves some credit. Yeah, I think Gomes is a good one. Uh, I'm going to go Trey Turner, who has not been – he's had a lot of errors, but he has a lot of great plays too. So I'm not going to focus on the errors, although, you know, he always does seem to have a lot of errors, but I think there's been some really, really good stuff we've seen from him. And since we're doing a positivity episode, I'm going to go with that. He's uh, He always makes those spectacular plays. I love watching him. He's so quick. He get, you know, he makes the turns. He gets – he, he gets the ball off. I, I, there's a lot of good things to say about Trey Turner's defense, and I'm going to right now ignore the errors. Um, the fielding percentage right now for 2021 so far is 957. So not his very best he's ever had, but not awful either. So that's my – I'm going with the positivity. I don't my, – I mean, I haven't watched many games recently just due to my schedule, but I don't mind uh, – a little uptick in errors from trade just because he's, you know, any shortstop's going to be expected to make kind of those spectacular plays, or at least they're going to try to someone like Antleton Simmons, who's just, you know, a gold glove God out there at short is rare, but you know, all the shortstops for the most part, make a lot of errors. I mean, Tatis leads the league in errors mm-hmm. he's young and he's trying to make those flashy plays and he doesn't know, really had to had to reel it in yet and Trey Turner was in that boat for a long time he's trying to make all the all these great plays and you know it was just a little too wild so it seems like as he's maturing and becoming more of you know an established player those are going down and he could still reel it in a little bit but uh, he has gotten better but I think that's the point you made the point perfectly which is that it's the attempt at the spectacular plays rather than just taking something on a hop and you know, and letting somebody. Yeah, get on it's base. not like Carter Keboom or uh, who's the Braves third baseman, Austin Riley. Yeah, Th- that one clip where Freeman doesn't even jump for the ball just kills me. Yeah, yeah and that's like the that. thing. I'd rather have a guy who tries for the spectacular play and has some errors sometimes than the one who just takes the easy play. Right. So you know, he's he's always had. I mean, his last five years. What are we looking at? Eight errors, twelve errors, thirteen errors, nine errors, five so far this year, which is a lot. But there's good stuff to mix in with it. So. Tatis has like 11 already, which is pretty funny. Is that 11 already? That I, is a I'm little bit bananas. Sure 10 or 11. I know it's double digits. That is a little bit crazy. All right. So we all found something positive to say about the defense. Let's look at pitching. Again, pitching has quite a lot to be positive about. Um, I'm going to go with the bullpen as a whole. They rank 10th in all baseball in ERA, and they're also 9th in baseball in WHIP. They have a collective war of zero, so 
and like say they're not really providing anything, but they've been really solid. They've That's a had, huge improvement from you. Right. I was going to say a I war mean, of zero is a huge improvement. In 2019, they had one of the worst bullpens baseball has ever seen. Last year, they were rather bad. So they're 10th in the ERA, 9th in whip. Whip is, to me, the most important stat for Agreed. relievers. Um, and their whip is 1.22 rather solid. It's been a couple rough outings recently, but again, those rough outings took people's ERAs to one five seven or like gave up one or two runs and those are the rough outings. It's a whole different world now than was the years past where we're like, all right, they're up eight to two. The bullpen's probably gonna blow this tonight. It's a lot different feeling and it's a much better feeling because the bullpen's been very solid. Yeah. Um that's a good one. I you know I love talking about my boy, my boy Joe Ross, and I appreciate Ryan you giving him some love uh, last episode. Um, but I'm I'm going to go to a different member of the rotation. I'm going to talk about John Lester because man, what he's been providing for us in his first couple starts, and again tonight, um, I mean, it really couldn't have come at a better time, based on the the shape this rotation was in. We had. I mean, does anyone even remember that guy's name that started that one game for us when Strauss went to the I.L.? Pablo Espino or something, whatever. His oh, name Paolo, was. Paolo, Paolo, Paolo. Didn't like, he get out? Didn't he get moved today when they activated Suero? I think he got sent. Where the hell did he come from? Is my point. So <laughs> Who's that like, guy? <laughs> so Lester, you know, coming back at the time he did, what couldn't have happened soon enough, and what he's been providing, you know, through his first couple starts has been exceptional. Uh, I think his ERA is down to like a what two three two one right now. I mean, you know, it was, it was only his what third start, so small sample size. But man, I mean, he, he single handedly kept us in this game because it's not like our offense has done much to you know warrant uh, any any wins. So we've had to rely on our pitching to even stay afloat, if that's what you can even call this state of the Nats right now. But we're being positive and John Lester has, you know, contributed greatly to this team at a very important time in the season, even though we're only a month in. So if he can do that and kind of pitch above what we expected, you know, that's a huge win. And it's something they need desperately with the offense struggling so much. Like the pitching is at least keeping us in games and keeping us from getting blown out. If the pitching weren't doing that right now, this team would just be, I mean, dreadful yeah i like yeah can you imagine if we had you know more of those corbin fetty even a couple joe ross starts like this team would be terrible so our pitching has been phenomenal and kept us in this game and kept us in the division really so yeah so i will go a couple of things i just mentioned swero came off the il today um the spino was optioned into, that was the corresponding roster move. Um, Strauss threw 62 pitches yesterday, and looks like he'll be back soon. Um, I think they're going to have him throw one more sim game and then head to Rochester for a, a rehab start or two, but hopefully it's not too far off. But um, I'm going to take the slam dunk here and go with Max Scherzer, who is the easy, obvious positive on the pitching right now. Um, he is currently sporting a 2-3-3 ERA in seven games. His whip is .777. So really just looking so fantastic this season so far. He has been every year. I feel like I have this like apprehension about is Matt, is this the year when Max start, you know, time catches up with him and he starts to, to decline. And every year it, he doesn't. 
So this he's looking fantastic. He's obviously the ace at this point. Um, a little bit of shakiness early in the season, but he has settled in absolutely beautifully. He's had a complete game. He's already thrown how many strikeouts? It's 61 strikeouts in, in seven starts. So he's yeah. amazing. I think that's a fine one because it definitely has been surprising because, you know, not that I expected or thought Max would be bad, but he's been dominant. Yeah, just that he wouldn't be Max. Yeah, know? he's been dominant, typical Max Scherzer fashion. And, you know, in oh, my damn. defense, I didn't realize he had a kid on the way. So that, you know, extra dose of dad strength has definitely come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no other explanation. No other explanation. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's been straight up dominant. And, you know, like I just said with Lester, that, that was sorely needed for the Nets, you know, to even be where they are right now. And to stick with the positivity... Um, it is, to me, the fact that the pitching has been better than I thought it would be. I mean, I expected them to be built on their pitching. They always are. But the pitching has been really good, both the bullpen and uh, the starting pitching in a lot of ways, especially in the last couple of weeks. So if the if the offense can start to pull it together before we get too far out of it, then, you know, maybe this team can turn things around. They have a chance. That's as positive as I can be. I mean, they have a realistic chance. Like, you know, Ryan says every episode, if they can just do this over the next, you know, X amount of games, they'll be fine. Like, they have a realistic chance based on the state of the NL East to, you know, make a run at this thing if they can just get their act together. Yeah. If. If they can. Yep. All right. Well, I'm proud of us. That was all. Very optimistic. Very, very optimistic. This is new. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Out of character, but we're doing it. Let's talk briefly about the broadcast situation with Masson, which is just such a mess. Um, Justin Maxwell has been the last couple of nights, um, this Philly series with Bob. I I guess I kind of thought once they made the announcement about FP that they would just have Colco do it. So I'm kind of surprised they seem to be sticking with Maxwell. I don't know. They've indicated in a couple of different ways that it's going to be a week or so, at least, that he's going to be on the broadcast. So I don't know if they're testing yeah, Bob, him out in a more permanent way. Bob was like, well, you have all week. Well, you have all week to uh, get that better. <laughs> <laughs> like Bob does. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin was actually pretty good tonight. I feel like someone was like, Justin, talk louder. Or maybe right. they turned up his mic because, um, like, he knows what he's talking about and, like, what he says is interesting. It's just the last couple of games, like, he's been doing, he's been so freaking quiet. But, yeah, yeah like, I think he's pretty good. Um, Dan Coco is so average. There are a lot of better people they can get. I said last episode, there are a lot of better people they can get than him. Great guy. Really nice guy. Boring dude. He's boring when he's calling games. His calls are really bad. And, like, obviously, a lot of that's probably attributed to the nerves as well. But, like, they can do better. And I think Justin Maxwell is better than him. I still wouldn't have Justin Maxwell be the full-time guy replacing FP. But he's pretty good in the meantime. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I understand some people liked them. But if we're being very real, this this truly is, like, unbiased. Bob and FP were not very good. They're just not like they might have good chemistry together, but if you watch another game, 
you realize what you're missing out on. I mean, for Christ's sakes, the Angels have Matt Vaskersian on on their everyday broadcast. Not just like he's not just the ESPN guy. They have him on their everyday broadcast, and that's just you know a sample of you know what's out there. They constantly get ranked last or you know bottom five every single year. This isn't just you know oh half street high heat's being negative again. No, like we're we have our opinion and it matches the overall you know critique of the broadcast. So this has been something that's needed to happen for a while. So unfortunately, sorry, it happened this way. Yeah, Yeah. very unfortunate circumstances in the way that it happened, but. You know, trying to be positive, as we were doing on this episode, it's nice to see other people get a shot in the booth. You know, Grant Paulson was in there. Now we have Justin Maxwell. Not everyone's made to be a color commentary, commentary, commentator, commentator. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it is nice to see them switch it up a little bit and see what is out there. Uh, I haven't been watching, you know, games, like I said, all that much. But from what I've seen, you know, on clips on Twitter and the, the the bits of the games I have been catching. I do like Justin Maxwell. Um, he definitely needs to grow into the role a little bit and be more comfortable, but he knows what he's talking about. It's nice to see, you know, one of my favorite kind of analysts or anyone on the broadcast is the people that know what they're talking about, even if they're not the most, um, you know, personable or whatever. It's nice to see someone competence is is nice to (laughs) yeah it's nice to see their them display their knowledge of the game and explain it in a way that makes sense to you know the fans watching so i think justin maxwell kind of fits that that mold a little bit um you know i i think again there's good options out there should they choose to go in that direction and and I, i get you know people have their their you know feelings for for bob and whatnot but you know, you're going to like the new guys basically is what I'm trying to say. Like there's good options. Yeah. It's always hard. I feel like with all sports, you get like a voice that you associate with your team and it's very hard to change that, especially baseball, which has so many games and and you listen to them so much, but I don't know for me that I think Justin Maxwell was definitely better tonight. I did watch and, and he was, you know, louder and a little bit more engaged. My, I guess my concern with the the pairing of Bob and Justin Maxwell is that they both are very like straight guy kind of personalities yeah, they, and you they need don't play something. off each other all that exactly. Well. And FP, whether you, you know, whether you are a fan of his or not had that kind of goofball, like, you know, he, he was the jokey one and the one that kind of kept it light and kept it moving and that kind of thing. And I, I feel like if you don't have that, then the, the broadcast feels a little stilted. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that may be something that if, you know, Maxwell, I'm sure would get better because he's never done this before, but I don't know. I really enjoyed, honestly, I, I enjoyed Grant Paulson in the booth too. I thought he did a really good job. He's very comfortable talking. He's a radio guy, you know, so yeah. that to it make, felt more natural to me. To make a good broadcast, you need that, you know, like you said, the, the straight guy who can just call a good game, you know, give uh, good play by play and whatnot. And then you need that that other guy to dive into the strategy or, you know, the mindset or whatever. Mm-hmm. And right now it, they're, they're new together. They haven't been working together all but two days. So it, it's not unexpected to see Bob and Justin not, not mesh right away, but there are great combos 
out there and I hope the Nats kind of explore that or Masson or whoever kind of explore that a little bit more. Yeah, here's the here's the prereq if Bob likes him. That's that's literally all it should be because the the last two didn't get along very well. So just get someone to get along with. Yeah, if they mesh, if they mesh, it's kind of just like like a team. If you, I guess you know the metaphor I'm using is football. If Bob's kind of like the quarterback, and if you get him a good offensive line, the quarterback's gonna be better. Yeah. So you know that's kind of what you're looking at right now. Um, If you get Bob, someone he meshes with well, Bob's gonna be better. I don't love ball Bob. I think he he's a little stale. But if you know getting him someone he meshes with improves Bob's standing, yeah, let, let's keep Bob around because like Amanda, you said he is and has been the voice of the Nats for a long time. Yeah, I don't think they should switch them both at once for sure. That would be yeah, it would be a little with. bit abrupt. Um, but you know, we, they're going to have to make a change one way or another. Like if we don't have to get into it because I know you talked about it last episode, but a change is coming one way or another. So I don't think you can necessarily say we have to keep up just you can just explore all options yeah and it's it's always interesting to me how the the radio side in dc is so stacked with talent like charlie and dave are unbelievable at what i was just about to talk about yeah you listen to to their call and you're like damn yeah and i listen to them all the time really good yeah i'm in the car a lot so i listen to the radio call on the games a lot i don't know how much most people listen on the radio versus watch on tv but I feel the same way about the Caps games. Like, John Walton's fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, Pete Medhurst, who's done radio in this town forever, has done some play-by-play for the Nats, too, last year. And uh, I don't know. There's just there's so much talent out there in on the radio side of things that it seems crazy to me that Masson just can't get it right on the TV side. I, I just don't think Masson cares. And, again, that's, you know, something uh, – that's a whole nother conversation – that the yeah. Nats will need to address in the coming years whenever their contract expires. Like, who could we get for 12 bucks? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, obviously, we, we've talked about it on the podcast. But, yeah, I think a lot of it, as we've seen with the FP stuff, Masson just doesn't want to deal with any of this. So, yeah. um, you know, that's kind of why we've, we're in the situation we're in. Yep. Indeed. Okay. Well, um they're going to have to find somebody to to fill that spot for FP. It's going to definitely be an interesting process to watch unfold. Yep. All right. So we're going to take some questions from the listeners. But before we do that, Nick, could we please have a word from our sponsor? Absolutely. Um, heaters, as you know by now, the Lawnmower 4.0 is available to everyone. I just got mine in the mail yesterday, and it's awesome. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, and maybe you haven't had a lawnmower yet or uh, haven't had the, the 3.0 or 4.0, well, what, what's the difference? What makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers? Let me take you through it a little bit. All right. The lawnmower 4.0 has a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. So for people that like to travel, you don't have to worry about your lawnmower going off in your bag and as you're going through TSA, they think it, it's something else. You don't have to worry about that. They took care of that for you. The Law Unmarked 4.0 also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off whenever you need it. So on the 3.0, it would just be on, which was nice. But if for whatever reason you didn't need it, whatever, this one gives you the on-off switch as well. 
The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over. So if you're trying to get a nice fade in there, you have guard lengths with sizes one through four. And, you know, looks wise, everyone can update the look to make it look cooler. But this one has undergone a true transformation. It's sleek, two-toned matte gloss finish, um, features a hot foil stamped black chrome manscaped logo. I mean, it, it's it's loud, it's proud, and, you know, it's kind of a perfect <clears throat> symbol to kind of get rid of that stigma yet. Yeah, I manscape. It, it's cool. Like, why aren't you manscaping? You're weird for not manscaping. So that's what Manscaped has done with the Lawnmower 4.0, and Half Street Hockey is proud to partner with Manscaped, just as Manscaped is proud to present this great show to you. And doing so, you can use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped on this great Lawnmower 4.0 and anything else you might like on their site. It's awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. And I hope you guys do check it out. And if you have already supported Manscaped and Half Street High Heat, I hope you do enjoy all your products because they are a great company and deserve your money. Yes, indeed they do. And we do too. Go check out our T. Well, yes, side. that, that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we deserve your money too, but Oh goodness. Okay. Let's get to Twitter questions. We have a bunch. Apparently people have many things to say about this team right now um let's start with at eric uh, ubius who says i doubt soto has ever bat lead off but right now the only one who will consistently protect him is trey he will never be a stolen base threat like acuna as lead off but the offense is so anemic right now is batting soto at the top of the order a completely crazy idea it's not a completely crazy idea this team's at the point where they have to do something. They need to figure something out because help isn't on the way, right? Everyone's like, well, you know, if they start playing better, who? The entire team not named Josh Bell is playing to the career norms. Let's look around the field. Stalin Castro, career average production. Jan Gomes, career average. Josh Harrison, career average. Trey Turner, above it. Kyle Schwarber, Around his career average, just no power. Victor Robles, his career average. Everyone's doing what they normally do, what the back of their baseball cards say. There, there's just nothing. So what do you have to do? Desperate times, they call for desperate measures. Where's the guaranteed spot in the lineup where you're going to get the most pitches to hit? Leading off. Put them there. Put Trey behind them. See if it works. It's just something that's out of the box but i don't think it's that crazy i think it's actually warranted right now because this team needs some type of spark if they if the score holds that's scoring three runs or less in the last eight games you need to get juan soda going you need to get him protection put him lead off they're not going to walk him to start the game he's going to get pitches to hit he'll actually have decent protection with how trey turner's batting and just let it ride your three, I mean, your three through eight or nine is still going to be terrible, but it is when they're batting one, two or the other way. So might as well try it out and see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I mean, nothing can be ruled out at this point um, based on how our lineup is performing. And, you know, even though he's not the most prototypical leadoff hitter, he is your best hitter, and hitting him leadoff would get him the most at-bats. So, you know, it is something to consider. I don't know that we ever see it. I think something along the lines of maybe a, a Harrison um, or a Steve. Well, Stevenson hit leadoff today, and 
you know, wasn't much different. But if we had like a Harrison Soto Trey lineup as one, two, three, that probably is the more realistic option if you want to get Trey behind Soto. Um, but you know, to answer the question, it's not it's not a crazy idea. This this N- offense, nothing is a crazy idea. This, this offense way. needs to do something, and as long as you're not, you know, negatively infect affecting Trey because he has been our best hitter this year, then, you know, do what you need to do. But as long as Trey is still set up for success as well, then you should be good. Yeah, I hate this idea because the fact that we even need to talk about it means things are so terribly bad, um, but I don't hate it. I think it's something you, you, you've you got to get protection behind Soto. It doesn't make it. They're just going to walk him every time. There's no reason for anybody to pitch to Juan Soto right now, and you're taking the bat out of Juan Soto's hands. You have to put somebody better behind him. And the only real option we have is Trey. So they've got to figure out a way to do it. But, you know, this, I know we just keep coming back. We're trying to be positive this time, but not going out and getting a bat to hit behind Soto, which was the one thing we all said. And the Nats said they were going to do this off season here. Here's what happens when you don't go do that. Yeah. And, you know, on a night like tonight, I mean, the Nats are down five, two and the bottom of the 10th with two outs, but um, you know, they have 10 hits as a team, which is above average for what we've been doing. And they have hits from seven different guys in their lineup, but they left 22 guys on base mm-hmm. and counting. And hand, uh, another save. Well, so. yeah, but just, you know, speaking on the offense, like it's rare you get 22 guys creating traffic on the base paths. And so, you scored and you two, only of score two runs. Yeah. Now the game's over. So yeah, they left 23 guys on stranded and only scored two two runs so so it's like our offense is finally hitting a little bit more than normally does but we're not making the most of it so incredibly frustrating positive vibes i'm trying that's a lot more it's a lot more tame than i normally am yes look out next week because we got a lot of stuff (laughs) pent up here we're gonna have to deal with okay let's move on to our next question from at wriggle 9000 who says when is steven returning we just talked about that he hopefully is. soon. Yeah, hopefully soon. Maybe. He threw 62 pitches is a lot. He was only supposed to go 50 pitches, but he was feeling good in three innings, and so they let him go a fourth he, sim inning, and he got up 12 more. Yeah, he's probably going to need one or two more simulated games, so probably at least another week, but it, it's looking good. Indeed. Um, let's see. Next one is from at Robotil, who says, we just aren't that good. That's baseball. Well, that's not a question, sir. And this is our positive vibes. <laughs> but yes, you're right. Facts. I know. <laughs> I mean, he said there's no rules that the heaters had to be positive. That's true. So. That's true. We didn't tell them. We didn't tell them we were doing a positive vibes only episode. Yeah. Yeah. So can't argue with you. Um, at Oh, Tyler says at non-roster invite. Why? <laughs> if um, only we knew. A great question. <laughs> if you guys aren't on Twitter, you should go on Twitter and check out Tyler right now. <laughs> Um, he having a meltdown he was at the game wasn't he he is he posts a very funny <laughs> video of him leaving yelling and he's just like very intoxicated going at people on twitter and it's really funny that was his first game back he, he had to watch that <laughs> poor yeah. guy yeah poor guy it's rough. yeah that is a rough one that is a rough one so the answer to why is we don't know we have no we have no answers for you tyler i'm so sorry <laughs> All right. Next one is from at Lucas Ma one seven three one 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 zero five. That's a lot of numbers. Ma, the meatloaf. 
Most people will mention the offense, but I'd like to point out my concern for their farm teams. It seems like so few prospects are showing any promise. No team has more than two wins after seven games each, and the pitching has been abysmal, especially in Fredericksburg. The reason I point this out in particular is if this year blows up and the Nats faces, they're staring at a long rebuild right in the face, and they need to invest more in their farm system if they want to produce more talented prospects. Yeah, I mean, he he hit it right on the head. Yep. The farm, no one actually cares about how your like minor league teams do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about individual performance, but the problem is no one's really doing that well. Um, Kay Cavelli again went five shutout innings. That's great. The rest of the farm, very questionable. Um, and that happens for two reasons. One, this team sold out for 10 years and won a World Series. They completely depleted the farm. That happens. But the other half of that is they spent probably four or five years straight with their first round pick on a pitcher who fell because of injury. And that pitcher hasn't panned out. That hurts your farm big time. It kind of sets you back because you're losing that first round pick. Now they've been doing a good job in the international aspect of these signings, but their drafting has been weak, which hurts the farm. And that's honestly one of the biggest questions right now is what are they going to do to get this farm some life? Yeah. They, uh, you know, selling out for a World Series, it obviously worked. So, you know, mission accomplished. But when you sell out to win a World Series, you have to draft a certain way. Like, the high upside guys who fall due to injury are for teams that are in the middle of a rebuild and can afford, you know, to let those guys work through whatever they're going through and develop. For the team selling out to win a World Series – the sure, well, as much of a sure thing, or let let me rephrase, the safe bet is the better option. I mean, we've, like Ryan pointed out in the recent draft picks, I don't think we've had a draft pick every single year, but since 2014, you know, which was the Fetty year, we've missed on every single first-round draft pick. You know, obviously too early to tell on Kate Cavelli, but so far we've missed on every single pick. And there's a reason why Cavelli, enter Cavelli, and he's immediately the number one prospect in our system because it's been so depleted and really Cavelli was the first pick we've had in a while where there wasn't any concern with him like due to injury or whatever else um so they 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 messed up in that regard but again you don't really care because you won a world series and that's really what matters but they are at a crossroads right here where it's either you double down and trade Cavelli and Rutledge as painful as it might be to, to really give a boost to your major league corps, or you go the opposite direction and trade some of your major league corps to, um, you know, replenish the farm system that desperately needs it. But this, this middling thing that they've been doing is just, it, it's, it's only going to drag this thing out and leave them in this, you know, purgatory that's just going to be miserable as a fan to, to experience. So I hope, you know, one way or another, they pick a lane because I mean, the Red Sox are a little bit of an extreme example because they, they sold out to win a world series. They won a world series, but then they traded, you know, a top five player in the league to replenish their farm that that was, which they, you know, really didn't because they only got one or two guys from that trade. But, you know, that, that was a little bit of an extreme example. And I'm not saying that the Nats will need to trade Juan Soto or anything, but that that's normal. You know, if you sell out 
you got to pick one way or another. At least the Red Sox are not, you know, in this purgatory where they don't know which way they're going. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's a great point you made about the drafting and the way that they've done it, which has been ineffective. Um, the always wanting to try to get a deal by getting guys with injury concerns is really, I mean, every once in a while you might catch you're lightning gonna, in a bottle. You're going to miss more than you hit. On you're going to miss more than you hit. And the, the other thing I wanted to bring up is that that is a farm system issue is the lack of willingness to ever be sellers at the deadline. Like I get that nobody wanted to give up on Harper the year he was a free agent. But imagine the haul we could have gotten for Harper at the deadline. And then we lost him the anyway. Indians and Indians offered Shane Bieber. I know. I know. There <laughs> was like, we could have gotten such a haul for him. And then last year when they just didn't do anything at the deadline, like we talked for, I don't know how, how many episodes up until the deadline about how they needed to be sellers. And they did literally nothing in a season where they finished in last place. That is to me an even bigger reason why your farm system is is in the toilet because draft picks, as we've talked about many times, are often hit or miss. Even if you have good drafts, some guys just don't pan out. Prospects are that way. But when you've got guys you could sell at the trade deadline to try to get some major league ready pieces or some prospects that are already looking, you know, you know, close to major league ready, you could have done that several times over the last several years to replenish that farm system, and they didn't. And now the the cupboard is bare. There's no reinforcements coming. You know, when we were the year that they won the World Series, they had all these guys like they were looking terrible in May, but it was because they were injured and they were missing a bunch of guys. And that's not the case now. There, There is no cavalry coming. Like this team is what it is. They've got their guys. They're just not producing. So this did not go in a very positive vibes direction, but. <laughs> it's a realist vibe. Though. Yeah, like, it is realist. Like we're not even trying to be negative. It's just kind of like a state of the Nats right now. Yeah. They've got to do something about the farm system. And, and obviously I'm not ready to give up on the season or anything. It's May 12th. I get it. Like I'm hoping they're going to be able to turn it around. And as we did earlier, there's lots of good happening with this team. It's just that the offense is overshadowing all of it. If the offense can start producing, the season could look a lot different, but if another month has gone by and we're having this conversation on June 12th or June 30th, then they've got to think about, they've got to think about trying to plan for the future. That's what I'm saying. Agreed. All right. Next one is from at Upstate Raymond, who says, do they anticipate trading for an impact bat? Bell and Schwab ain't cutting it. I don't think they're going to be in a position to be buyers at the deadline. Um, That's pretty funny to assume that this front office thinks there'll be anything but. Um, It's true. It's a good point. Like this team, this team just sucks. Like they're they're not a good team right now and i don't even think you need that right now um i just don't really think it's a good roster i just don't really think they have it which is fine just be honest with yourself and realize that like we kind of just talked about so no i don't think they do unless they make like a june trade like they did that one year they acquired um i can't remember that reliever's name Alvin herrera yeah when they when they got that worked out great that was perfect i i I remember i was so excited they traded from the mlb network next but it was cool they did it i mean with doolittle and madsen they did it a little bit earlier than the deadline yeah it was like a few weeks ahead i think if i remember correctly yeah Um, i was thinking they might try to go for like chris bryant if things were going well and we were in june and you know the cubs were not doing well that's not looking so realistic. What pisses me off is they should have just gone out and gotten the impact bat in the damn off season. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's definitely a missing piece and probably the biggest missing piece to really push the Nats into real contention, not just this, 
um, pretend contention that I think they're in right now. Uh, but I just I, I don't see them really doing anything that moves the needle. It hasn't been their MO the past couple trade deadlines. Uh, if they did make a move for bullpen help, which, you know, seemingly they don't need as much anymore. So it'll be interesting to see if they do try to address, you know, the lineup, which is now their biggest need instead of the bullpen. Um, and who are they but, trading, though? That's the question. And that's what I was just going to say. I can't see them parting with Cavalli or Rutledge. Um, Key Boom's value shot. Like maybe Cole Henry's probably your best trade piece at this point that you're willing to trade. But what is he really netting you? If anything, you would have to give um, quantity over quality. But again, our farm system so thin that even quantity isn't giving you the same haul as some of these other teams can offer. So it's like, who who would we get realistically? Like, I, I, I don't think we would get a Bryant. Definitely not someone like Trevor Story. Um, you know, not even Eugenio Suarez, who's been struggling a little bit this year because, you know, that contract is so team-friendly that he that's value in and of itself. So it's like, if you're taking away the three seemingly best trade options uh, offensively on the market, who are you getting, and are they really going to move the needle? The answer is probably no. I think the only people they really have worth trading right now that any team is going to want are Cavalli and Rutledge. And what you they're have to decide there, I don't think they will, but what the Nats would need to decide is, are you good enough this year to go all in and try to get somebody to get you to the postseason? And are you willing to, to trade the pieces you have to do it? And I can't imagine as much as, as much as Davey and Rizzo always play the positive card and they always say everything is great and everything's fine. And we're going to, you know, we're going to turn it around and they're always, kind of, you know, coming with that same line, they must be realistic enough to look at this club and say, you know, we have very few decent pieces on our farm and we're not going to get rid of them to try to shore up a club that right now isn't looking like it's got what it takes to even get to the postseason. I mean, you know, the only way in is two wild cards if they don't win the division. And they certainly, I mean, again, it's so early. I hate to be so, I'm really not doing a good job of staying positive, but um I don't know. We all talk at the beginning of the season, pick the Braves to win the division and we'll see what happens. But if the Nats don't win the division, which is looking tough right now, then, you know, the only way in is those wild cards. And if they're not going to make the postseason, or even if they squeak in, if they're not going to make a deep run, I don't think it's worth trading the very few good pieces we have to try to pick up an impact bat in a season that isn't likely to end the way we want it to. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder you know, the Doolittle trade and Matson was a little surprising, not just because we gave up Luzardo, but also because we gave up Blake Trinan, who, you know, didn't have a great season that year, but showed a lot of promise the year prior mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I wonder if they try to do something like that. I I, I like him and I, I want to see him, you know, get things right, but... I think Tanner Rainey might be a, a pretty appealing piece in a tr- any deal. And yeah. should our bullpen be at full strength come deadline time and performing well, obviously, is Tanner Rainey really expendable? Maybe, especially if you really need a lineup and you find yourself in a spot that you're not, you know, completely out of it. 
I, I just wonder if a, a Tanner Rainey and a Cole Henry and some other, you know, mid-level prospect could net you something substantial or worthwhile on offense. Maybe. From a team that, that is totally out of it. Maybe. Right. I, maybe. I, I think that that'd be something to watch. I don't, I don't think Kyle Finnegan has as much trade value as Tanner Rainey would. Maybe. I don't know. Because of the flashes but, Rainey has shown, I think a Rainey lot of teams might look at him that dominant way. flashes. And I guarantee you there's a team out there that, that looks at Rainey's team and be like, yep, I can fix that. And they, they value they Rainey can. a little bit higher. <laughs> so I just want to, that was just something that came to my mind. It's like, I wonder because, you know, they do have Harris and Hudson in hand and swear on Finnegan. And that's the best, already the best bullpen they've had in years. So, you know, as much as you would like to have Rainey, he hasn't been all that effective this year. And if you're trying to win this year, let's, you know, shipping Rainey out to get more offense isn't the worst thing in the world, the worst trade-off. So I, I just wonder that that's something, you know, we might talk about as we get closer. That's a really interesting idea and thought about Rainey as a trade piece, but you know, we don't have a lot of prospects to offer somebody MLB ready might be more appealing to a lot of teams. Yep. All right. Last one we have is who's in the blood says, who is your dream replacement for FP? Howie Kendrick. Joe Buck. Oh, well, yes. Ben Scully. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm no. going to go. I go Howie Kendrick. I, it's a little, I love Howie Kendrick. Don't get me wrong. It's a little blown out of proportion a little bit, but I think Howie Kendrick would be great because not only was he super important to everything Nats, so people are going to love him that, you know, no matter what. But he's also, what, a 14-year, 15-year vet in the league that's played for a bunch of different teams. Mm-hmm. And he was also really, really good. So it's like he, he knows what he's talking about. And when he speaks, people will listen. And he's well-respected. And, again, he means a lot to this franchise. So I think that would be a great fit if that's something he was ever interested in. And usually people, when they retire, they do get that itch to come back to the game in one capacity or another. So I would hope before he, you know, is in talks to go anywhere else, that the Nats reach out to Tyler Kendrick to see if he has interest in working with them in the booth or whatever. We've seen plenty of players make that transition. I think it would be awesome. I think it would be a great fit. That would be fun. So I don't know how, you know, he would be as, you know, a color analyst or whatever, but you know, he, he does have that personality from what we've seen, you know, the dancing in the dugout. He, he can be that little goofball that, you know, is nice to have on a broadcast. So I think that would be a, a good logical fit for them. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting idea. Um, I think somebody who played the game is always really nice, especially with somebody like Kendrick who played a lot of different places around the league and knows a lot of the people yep. and the personalities. I think he could really have a lot of stories to tell and, and he's just engaging. You listen to him talk. He's, mm-hmm. he's a really fun guy to listen to. So I, I like that idea. I haven't really given it any thought who would be the dream replacement, but yep. I certainly wouldn't be happy if it were Kendrick. You wouldn't be happy. No, I would be, I would be oh. happy. I know, like, Michael Morse is, is still, you know, I don't know what he's doing now, but I, it's something broadcast-related, if I'm not mistaken, and he, he still, like, engages with Nats fans on Twitter a little bit. That, I, I don't know how Michael Morse is as a, as a broadcast guy, but, you know, that one would be okay. I wouldn't love it, but I think Howie Kendrick would be a slam-dunk home run uh, 
if you could get him in the booth. A grand slam, if you will. If you will. It would make da, a bang. Da, a bang zoom. Anyways, we're moving on. <laughs> Clang. Ryan, who's yours? Clang. Actually, like, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this for a while because the Nats have, like, such a short history. Right. So you're like, well, who they turn to? You're like, do you go to the Expos? But the Nats don't really acknowledge Expos unless it kind of helps when their players look better. <laughs> that's when they that's when they recognize the Expos. So you can't really do that. And then you're looking at players here. A lot of them from the olden days, you know, 2005, 2010 and stuff, weren't really here for a long enough time. You're looking at maybe Ian Desmond, Jason Ward, Howie Kendrick. None of them, um, Howie would be good, but none of them are really my dream person. Um, so I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how to answer this because, like, you want to get someone who has DC ties preferably, mm-hmm. but I feel like that kind of just really limits you as well. Maybe, like, I don't know. Well, no, I don't like him. I was going to say one of those people who uh, from the post and went to ESPN, but I don't like him. Yeah, um, and we love him, and they mean a lot to the franchise, but a lot of the the options, you know, are after you already check people off, you know, the list of the, you know, qualifications that Ryan just gave, a lot of the remaining guys are pretty boring, if we're being honest. Ryan Zimmerman, love the guy. He means a lot, but would not be a great broadcast guy in my my opinion just a little doesn't have the personality i think how for max scherzer would be a great one because to get in that inside that mind would be phenomenal i would love and he's definitely going to do something after he retires but he also might not retire for five more years at least so so it's like you got to find someone before then yeah all right well those are all interesting interesting thoughts um I have a feeling whoever it is will not be anyone any of us would have picked. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Probably, because Masson, as we discussed, seems like they couldn't possibly care any less about the Nats broadcast. Yeah. Clearly. Okay, you guys got anything else before we get out of here? Um, no, I'm no? good. All right. Well, thank you to all of you for listening. We appreciate it. Please make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you're always notified of our latest episodes. And uh, check us out on Twitter at Half Street High Heat and at the website at HalfStreetHighHeat.com. And we will catch up in a few days. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not wanna look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go Score, we're gonna win for sure. You better.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.